Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I am here with the man of the hour, my right-hand dude, Dale Dempsey. What's hey. cooking, Dale? Hey, I, I just was thinking to myself, maybe I'll do the intro one day and see if anybody can tell it. It was me instead of you. Maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. We'll get there. Dale's not quite sure. For those of you that are looking, watching us on YouTube, number one, thank you. For those of you that are listening to us on an iTunes you should check us out on our YouTube channel, Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. There's some great additional content on there, and uh, you can see how Dale and I dress exponentially different <laughs> sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes I, you know, I'm not wearing this shirt most of the times, but I'm in my bulky gear. And Dale's not quite holidays. sure whether or not I have COVID or not, which is why he's got his mask hanging oh, from man. his. <laughs> so actually, we, we had COVID. We did have COVID. Yeah, I shouldn't laugh. I really shouldn't laugh. But so we had COVID, but I wear this mask now around my neck. You got me this, yeah, lanyard, right? It's like I feel like a librarian sometimes. So I've got these masks always around my neck. I forgot to take them off. So thank and, you for and that. And for the record, when I gave that to you, you're like, yeah, I'm not using that. And now you're I using think it. You're, I think I dismissed it right you away. Did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, these are awesome. Look, I got these at the hardware store. Okay, so by the way, I'm the only one that uses them in the I entire know office. I know you are, and, and I, I don't even use it anymore. Well, actually, I have one mask in the car that I do use that on. So It's handy. It is handy. It was a great idea. It was such a simple idea. So It's become an appendage. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, actually, we for those of you that are listening, one, thank you for listening and welcome to the new year. But we actually did have a case of the coronavirus. Yeah. I uh, have no idea how I got it. I guess I was the super spreader. I think it had to do with me working too hard and my immune system dropped and I just got it. But everybody was safe though, thankfully. Uh, I don't think any of our family members got it. No, that was interesting because yeah. you got it, I got it, a couple other people. So Trish got it, although her husband did get it. But your wife and your kids didn't get it. My wife, my kids didn't get it. I was hugging them. I was oh, I was hugging, totally kissing them. Like, uh, I love you. Separate. Yeah. My son was really pissed off at me, though. Because well, he just came back from college where they basically made him stay in his room for the whole semester. And he comes back and a week later, his dad gets COVID. He's uh, like, he was so mad at me because he was supposed to have a Friendsgiving with all his friends were coming over. So we had to cancel that. Now my daughter was the same way. Her boyfriend can't come over anymore. So... It is what it is. Look, we we got through it and um, probably should do a moment of silence for everybody who didn't get through it. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Yeah. Just a moment of silence. Yeah. Unfortunately, a uh, gentleman named Sam Bakhtiari, Dr. Sam Bakhtiari, if you check him out on YouTube, he's got some, actually he's got some great, great content, great interviews. We were supposed to do an interview this week, as a matter of fact, and uh, unfortunately he passed away like in four days. It was really sad. But anyway. And that'll just... This whole thing is changing so much. Right. So it'd be interesting to know what kind of predictions, if you can even make them, right? Like, what do you, like, yeah. how do you even, how do you do that anymore? There's That's some stuff segue, I think we could talk way. about. That was Dale's attempt at a segue. That was well, pretty good though. That was good. That was good. You're not supposed to let on that I actually know That's the okay. topic for the- <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. For those of you that have just started listening, these are just talks. These are just Dale and I sitting in our office just talking about stuff. And these things came about, and the whole idea of doing a podcast, if you go back a little bit, came about because we used to, we would have these really interesting conversations. 
and you said, dude, you should we should record these. Like oh, yeah. it's good yeah. stuff, right? Careful uh, what you wish for with know, that one, by no, the way. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I get like anxiety over having to get my recording schedule in. So right. but they're great. But to Dale's point to his segue, no one really knows sort of what's gonna happen. And so today we really just want to talk about which was a really long intro to get to our point. But today we really wanted to talk about what we think as we've been talking at the end of last year and now the beginning of this year, what's going to happen this year in the business, right? Where do we see, is it consolidation? Is it firms getting out? Is it who's being sold to who? And so what I thought we would do is just go through, I have like five, I think, more sort of bigger picture things that I think are relevant. There's always the unknowns. There's going to be, I can guarantee you there's going to be a consolidation of one firm into another. I can guarantee you there's going to be a PE firm buying some other big firm and one PE firm selling their equity ownership to another PE firm. I don't know which firms are going to be, but I can guarantee you that's going to happen this year, right? I can guarantee you some firms going to cut their payouts. I can guarantee you some firms going to increase their fees on their clients and on their advisors. Those are givens. But in our space, where we see things is, you know, some of the big changes that I see, and I'm just going to go over a couple of them. We're just going to talk about them. And Dale sort of doesn't really, he has some idea of what we're going to talk about, but, and I guess these are in really no particular order. So they're not like, I'm not ranking these. I just think that these, all of these things are, are going to continue to happen or not happen. Number one is wirehouse firms. And I know we're a huge, we are huge advocates of the independent space, right? We call that sort of the, the ultimate recurring revenue business, right? Is, is going from a W2 world to a 1099 world. It's like the ultimate backend bonus. But I do think and see the bigger wires, Stiefel, RBC, Raymond James, they've always been putting out deals, recruiting and doing a pretty good job doing it, right? But the wires like Morgan, Merrill, I'll throw UBS into that spot, even though they're not as big, right? right. I mean, Raymond James is bigger than UBS. Sure. UBS America, not the company. My first prediction there is that you're going to see more and more wires not really gaining market share but hiring more producers because I think they're losing advisors out the back door that they don't like to advertise. But I do think they're going to get back into the recruiting space in a big way. I would say UBS and Morgan Stanley have been doing it quietly, not really well, as well as not quiet about it. As a matter of fact, they just advertise for some reason that they, they're increasing their commissions to recruiters. Oh, I know what the reason is. That's like increasing. Oh, I, we know the reason, <laughs> right. That's like taking a B share for those financial advisors that have been in the business when you were really, you know, B shares were the thing. It's like giving an advisor an additional bonus commission on a B share mutual fund. They're doing the same kind of thing because they need to buy the assets. You make some good points here. I think they, they're they going to, maybe the big shift into this year, and it's happened a little bit before the turn of the year, is that the larger institutions have now changed their stance now that broker protocol is sort of settled in and they've changed their stance on recruiting and have made it not internally, but outwardly because they've, none of them actually really stopped. All of them continued to do it. Well, UBS and Morgan Stanley. They said they stopped, but they were still in the market for particular. Yeah, there were definitely. What they're not going to do is admit they were wrong in stopping a more aggressive approach. They tried the whole, we're going to be we're going to do it differently and we're going to be better and we're not going to kowtow to throwing deals around. Wrong idea. Yeah. They got their asses handed to them. But by the numbers, so I run these reports on a regular basis, none of those firms that we've mentioned, none of the biggest firms out there actually bring in more assets than they lose. Here's the thing though. I see that changing a little bit. I'm not saying they're going to bring in more than they lose, but I do think they're going to bring in a lot more than they have in the last year or two. 
But what part but of it's why? gonna be deal? Well, they're gonna they're gonna make a, a bigger effort. They're gonna put pressure. Not they're going to. They're putting pressure on their managers to start recruiting again. Managers are getting the you know the where's we need your pipeline by Friday. Your recruiting pipeline. How many calls did you make? How many meetings did you have? They're getting those calls. Now they may not be where they need to be on the deals, but it's there. So that's that's number one. I think you're going to see that. So look, if you're an advisor that knows you don't want to go independent because it's not in your blood, you're just not an entrepreneur, you're not looking to be a business owner, there are some options there. Some of the deals are pretty lucrative. Some of the regional firms still have very lucrative deals. Stiefel RBC are still very strong. Raymond James, great firm. But so I think that there's going to be some opportunity there. That's that's There's going to be one. some opportunity. I just want to close it with this. And I think it's going to be with the firms that have really done a good job reinvesting back into their businesses. Yes. Those are going to be the winners coming out. Yeah. And then, you know, you talk about, I wouldn't consider Rockefeller in the wirehouse where it's more of a regional, you know, boutique, right? But oh, they're going to sure. see, firm like Rockefeller is going to see some massive increases. Uh, you're going to see that name being- Because they started at zero. Well, they started That's at zero, but the teams that they're bringing on, I think they're going to be the beneficiary of these other wires. Oh, yeah. Not doing what you just said, not reinvesting right. back yes. in the company. Because reinvesting back in the company really means for a financial advisor, reinvesting in you as a financial advisor. And some of these firms are not doing that because they don't really care about you. They care about the firm and the client assets. You, you just happen to have to come along the ride. They entered this space at a very unique and beneficial time for them. They're going to do really well because they got to figure out what everybody else did wrong, what everybody else did right. And now they're going to go build. Well, Greg and those building, guys are going to build. Go build. And they're building it. I mean, it's well, they have the a vision that they've I'm, had is massive. It's massive. And I know Greg's got to end place he wants to get to there. What he's building, what they've built already, speaks volumes yeah. to why they are they're they're really it's doing impressive. really, really well. And we well. were, you know, we were, I would say pessimistically optimistic, you know, about what they were going to try to do. And it's oh, yeah. really been impressed. So we both anyway, really so wanted to win. That's number one. Number two, which is sort of ties into number one, and that is deals that we see on the street, we don't think are going down. I would say with some firms, they actually might get more aggressive. Oh yeah. And actually might go up. Even though they're Top, and I've been doing this a long time. And we've always heard the deals never been this high, and they're not going to stay. Oh, they're going to go higher. For, they're going to go higher. I think they're going to go a lot higher in different ways, in different structures, being more creative. But I think you're right. I think deals probably will go higher. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say this year we're going to see our first publicly acknowledged 500% transition deal. Okay, I had no idea he was going to say that. So that was his like side pocket. That that, that is a okay. me on a limb. That's a bold, bold statement. Mark my words. Okay. You all heard it here first. But deals are, the valuations are that high. If you go look at the RIA space, people for reoccurring revenue, and these are all relationships that are being fostered in even the largest institutions. So if you're at a big firm, you know the value of your book is massively increased over what it was in the 80s and 90s. And it stands to reason that these advisory relationships are going to have so much more long-term value. And institutions are going to know, well, look, we're going to make our money back because we're going to cut their compensation in some cases, <laughs> but we're going to make our money back over a really long period of time and we can afford to do this. Yeah, I think also to your point in the independent space deals, and we've seen it this year. I mean, in the last maybe 18 months, we've seen the independent space deals continue to grow and grow and grow. I mean, when I first started this business, if you were going to go independent, maybe, maybe you got 25%, maybe, or maybe you went to a certain firm. Where they give you like thirty percent. That was like a monster independent. Oh, year. I remember those days. Now it's it's getting to like three x that upfront and plus back ends. 
they're starting to build in back ends, ends yeah. right? It's starting to look sort of like a retail kind of type of deal. So I think that, so number two, I think deals are going to continue to grow. Number three, and people were asking us like, man, you know, business must've been rough for you guys this year with COVID and all that stuff. And you know, we hear all the time, we've never been busier. Busier in terms of more, we did, you know, look, we did really well last year, right? With movements, but there was a little bit of a pause. Some of that we're seeing now in the first few months of this year with those moves. Sure. But where we see it getting busier is the the level of interest with advisors looking to make their move, right? And some of that is exploring options with advisors that maybe they didn't want to leave. They weren't sure if they wanted to leave, but you know now they're at home, which sort of circle backs to one of my final one, which is merely my sixth one. I said five, but I really have six. The whole work from home thing. We'll get to that. But a lot of advisors are now thinking, you know what? I should take a look at this. I should take a look at what's out there. Maybe I'm going to leave. Maybe I'm not. I feel, and I'd like to hear how you feel about this, but I feel that there are a lot of advisors, more than I've ever seen, at least, taking a serious, serious look at leaving the existing firm that they're at, whether it's W-2 to W-2, but more so about the whole independence thing. Going independent, if you're an advisor and you work for a wirehouse firm or a retail W-2 firm, you've been home for the last 11 months, you're independent. You're just not getting paid that way. Yeah, that's exactly my thought. There will be more movement. There just has to be because the world has changed so radically. We've adapted and really just assembled a culture, sort of like it was just unspoken. It just happened where we all decided basically we're going to do things through our computers and cell phones like almost all the time. And this was something that I I don't think a lot of firms were prepared for. And then stands to reason that there's other factors too, but you know, a lot of these advisors, I think, will at least look at the option because they're they're starting to realize their economics are probably not what they should be. And they're not really getting the same thing that they were years ago from the support at their branch, right. so even think, when they were there. So look, I think that I think advisor movement is going to probably this year, 2021, going to dwarf what happened last year. And it's going to be just do yourself a favor. Make sure you're working with the right consulting firm like ours. There's a lot of options. Don't get enamored understand what you're looking at. And I would say to you, the one question I would ask yourself is if you were on a search and your existing firm was one of the firms that you were looking at, would you join that firm today? And if the answer is no, probably shouldn't be there. Just keep that in mind. Number four is this whole idea of multi-channel firms taking hold. So firms that have, so LPL, we did, I did a great interview with Rich Steinmeier from LPL because they're launching their new sort of like W2 Linsco office model, which is W-2. You have firms like Stewart Partners that have independence. They're a super, essentially a super uh, producer group at Raymond James. Maybe it's not obvious. So why would these firms do that? Why do you think we're going to see more of it? Well, to our last point, advisors are exploring their options. And a lot of advisors that are in a W-2 market or W-2 office space, and I consider them practitioners, right? I don't consider them business owners, even though they may say they run their own business. They don't. Till you're writing a check for the electrician and you're writing a check for the rent and you're, you have to get a new office chair and it's coming out of your checking account, you're not a business owner, you're a practitioner. I think there are a lot of advisors that recognize where they're at is not the right place for them for a whole host of reasons. I'm not getting into them, but they just don't want to go independent. They just don't want to go into a private practice. They don't want to do it. So these firms like LPL that have the capability said, well, let's provide a, an option for them. Let's create it. It sort of looks the same 
You don't need as many operations people. You don't need a branch manager in the corner office whose really only job is to go out and recruit, not really help you service your book or whatever. So there's a home for those advisors. And that's where I applaud those types of firms. Jim Gold, High Supporta, Greg Benez, Jeff Gagne, all of my buddies over at uh, Doug Kenfield, all my buddies over at, at Stuart Partners, you know, they're one of the ones that really started to make some waves with their model. You go in, there's an office, they take care of it for you. But then there's some other firms that are coming out that are really creating this, hey, listen, here's our firm, here's our culture. And really, if I look back, Raymond James was one of the first firms that had, forget about Stuart Partners, but Raymond James got it right. Yeah. really early that on. That was exactly what I was thinking. They they really were the pioneers for yeah. all the channels you could possibly right. need in this business. Pick how you want to get paid. Like here's our firm, here's our culture. Whether you're independent or a W-2 advisor, when you call to our trading desk, it's the same people. When you call our financial planning desk, it's the same people. We don't care which channel you're on. So that model and the reason why they've grown so much over the last, I'll call it five years where they've really seen maybe maybe five to seven years. They've really seen exponential growth. So that's number four. Here's one that I think I'm starting to see more and more. And we did a, uh, a YouTube video call. It was really something called dual monetization, which is something I trademarked. We did a YouTube video about why you don't necessarily want to sell your practice to the firm that you're at. So if you want to go to YouTube and just look up Advisor Talk, dual monetization, we have the whole formula. We walk you through it. But what I'm seeing more and more of, and we're working with a couple of teams that are like this, where the junior advisor is seeing, wait a minute, if I buy this book, if I'm the inheriting advisor for Bill and he sells back to the existing firm, I'm stuck here. Like I can't ever move again. Well, I say never say never, but the idea is that you really can't move. So what I see more and more of is the younger, the inheriting advisor, we'll call them the younger advisor, but the inheriting advisor is going to press the senior advisor to really take that dual monetization approach and leave firms and then retire at the new firm. That's right. my opinion. Well, because what I think has happened over the short term here is because things have changed so radically inside of firms, the advisors who are looking to retire now recognize the fact that the younger advisors need to be at a place where they're going to thrive long-term and there's not going to be a transition. And they certainly don't want a transition in the middle of their retirement. So what they're saying to the younger advisors, I see this a lot, is, okay, you're either making the decision or you are going to be a huge part in the decision-making process right. for this, which firm we're going to go to. And let's go to a firm that you want to be at. So I got to applaud that a lot, can, of, a lot of you guys for grow, doing that. You can grow the book of business because a lot of these deals, when you retire at the firm, are the retiring advisors paid out on the back end. So they want the book to grow. They want to be at the right firm. Right. They got to be at the right new firm. That's why they're. I've seen it more and more. They're just putting the younger advisors out there asking questions and being really involved, if not putting it on their shoulders entirely. I have one that I'm working on right now, and that's exactly what the case is. He's like, basically, you go fetch and come back to me with what you find, and then I'll make the decision from there. So, But he got the biggest point was he got the senior advisor to agree to do that. Like he, The senior advisor understands now that it's better for the, advi- the younger advisor, and candidly, <laughs> it's economically better for him as well. So remember, it's not about the money, but it's about the money. Um, And then the last one, and this is, I'm going to say part of it is obvious, but I have a different take on the tail end of this opinion. And we've been talking about this at nauseum. That is this whole idea of advisors continuing to work from home and not necessarily independent space. This is really geared towards the the W-2 
space. So wires, regionals, any firm that's a W-2 where you're you're an advisor and a practitioner and you go into an office, right? That's not yours with a branch manager. So I think that not only will that continue, so that trend of advisors getting more comfortable working from home and firms getting more comfortable working from home, well, I'm going to leave, I'm, I'm not going to drop the bomb part of it, my real opinion, that I debated with this with my wife the other day. But on that part of it, what are your thoughts on where you see the work from home thing going? Well, it's definitely in a state where it's kind of hard to say. If I had a gun to my head, I would think that I would think that uh, Frank's putting a gun to my head. So <laughs> <laughs> I would I would tell you the there's a lot of firms with W two model who are so invested in the real estate, the staff, and all these people in the office. And to think that they would continue to not have that as a value for the advisors wouldn't make sense to me. Now, I've seen some firms start to supplement. They're bringing back the staff and the managers into the office and telling the advisors it's their choice whether or not they want to come in. And what ultimately, at the very least, what I think will happen is some of these firms might start to loosen the reins on exactly where the advisor can do business. We'll see. We, we, we were talking about that with FINRA. Like, what's FINRA going to do? Oh, that's a whole other thing. Um, because there, you know, there are certain rules that they apply where an advisor works from home for a certain amount of days. Now the firm has to register that office location as a remote location, right? And so and then they have to supervise it. Somebody has to go out. Oh, yeah. um, I used to have an advisor. I was a, a complex director that lives in Florida. So I have to go down there, which wasn't a bad trip. Played golf, whatever. But I had to go down there. So you have to go visit those offices. So that will be interesting. But what I think is really going to happen and I have this saying that the more things change, the more they stay the same. I think what will really happen, and I would warn firms not to go and slash real estate and sort of have the pendulum swing too far, which financial service firms always do, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> they always swing too far. So slow your roll. I do believe that we will get back to a, a place in time. Maybe it's not this year. Maybe it'll be the tail end of this year. Or you'll see some evolution of that where advisors are going to want to be in their office. Advisors are going to want, and even if they don't see as many clients in the office, you're going to want to be around. You're going to want to be in the office, be around other people. I mean, look, Jamie Dimon said point blank that, right? He says, everyone's got to come back because you're not as creative when you work from home. The fluid and the information and the ideas, the idea share, you just don't get it when you're on a Zoom call because you're not going to be like, hey, I'm by the water cool and I had an idea. Let me go get everybody on a Zoom call and tell them what the idea is. I mean, you and I were talking the other, before and I... Like we were talking about something and like within five minutes, I forgot what I was going to say to you. Like, so forget about getting you on a Zoom call, right? Who's available? Who's not available? So I think I really feel adamant about this, that we're going to get back to a place where advisors get back to the office because they're going to want to be at the office. They're going to want their assistance there. They're going to want to see their assistance face-to-face. You want to build those relationships. I know I, I sometimes I, I throw branch managers under the bus, but I, I have a lot of friends that are great branch managers and they are people people you know they're people pleasers they want to be with their guys they want to gals they want to be in that environment good friend of mine is a manager over here right at, you know locally at UBS he's a great guy i mean and he it's almost he's at a disadvantage cuz he's can't see all his advisors all the time right yeah. and advisors miss that advisors oh, yeah. we're all human beings we want connections right yep. look our business my business, we can work from home. A lot of firms that are in our space are all remote. They don't have the office that we have and the facilities and all that stuff. And I think we're better because of it. I couldn't agree more with that. And a lot of us that were at home, well, I'll just speak for myself. I wanted to be here. 
I enjoy the teamwork, the collaboration. I know there's others who feel the same way. Yeah, look, I, I totally agree with you on that one. I think we'll get back to that. Look, I think that people that are saying, oh, the business is going all remote. I don't no. think you're being smart about it. I don't think, I think you're just telling the company line yeah. with what people are thinking. I do believe maybe you've never worked in a retail office before to know what it's like, to know why there's real value there. One of the things I say is learning through osmosis, learning, being around, listening. I think there's nothing uh, better than that creates creativity and energy and all that stuff. So I would say that's my, one of my most bold predictions, which is sort of against the trend that I do think we're going to get back to going back to the offices in a more meaningful way with the caveat that the retail firms are going to be more comfortable with those advisors that do want to work from home or want to work in a remote location. A lot of times, especially if you're in a state like New Jersey, where we are, a lot of advisors get a home down in Florida or some other state where the taxes are a lot less. And it was always problematic for the advisor to go do that and live down there for half the year. You had to jump through hoops. You had to file for a remote location. You had to do all these things, right? And now I think those types of situations are going to be much easier to get accomplished, which in reality will make the advisor happier and probably will create some retention at that firm. So that's my sixth. That's my big bomb drop. If I'm a retail firm, I wouldn't be 86ing 50% of your space. I might rethink how you use your space. I might rethink where you have space, but that's what I would do. You know, you don't need these plush, huge office locations. Be more efficient, but understand that advisors need the space. They need to be around each other, clients, all that stuff. So anyway, yeah. That was a lot. That was like rapid fire, sort of rapid fire, six big things. There's so many other things we can talk about, but we don't want to We don't want to bore you guys. You're going to say something before we sign off. It was a story about a snowman, but it's not going to fit in. It's not going to fit in the right way now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save the snowman story for later. I know what the story is. It's really funny. Uh, it's really well, we'll tell, funny. We'll tell, we'll tell it at some point. One yeah, so you got you to you keep listening because you never know when we're going to tell the story. So you got to keep listening to every single podcast that we have. But uh, anyway, with that said, thank you for joining us. We hope you um, enjoyed the content. As always, we love when we hear feedback. We love when we hear people tell us that they enjoyed it, they listened to it, they shared it with a friend. We have great stuff. If there's something that you want to hear more about, let us know. Please subscribe and uh, leave comments. Give us that five-star rating. Smash the like button, as Dale likes to say. Well, the new thing is Uh-oh. make I'm so make that bell gray. Make the bell gray. Make okay. the bell gray. I get it. Yeah, I, I sort of understand that. Yeah, I got kids. Uh, check out our YouTube channel, Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Leave comments. Thanks very much. Have an awesome 2021, and we'll see you on the other side. Love you. Great talk. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, Head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.